It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, and welcome to Teacher Talk. I'm Matt Snyder, your host, and unfortunately, my co-host, Rachel Bender, could not be with us today. Last time, we talked about the growth mindset, we did the learning pit activity, and designing growth mindset lessons. Um, So we talked about, we had some clips that I want you to remember. We had the Yoda sound clip, Do or Do Not. That's where they're assigned the task. There's the Star Trek clip. Things are only impossible until they're not. The beacons are lit where they start to get some hope. And then we shall fight in the shade where they get so confident with the material that they move on. And this is really a learning projection that we talked about. I wanted to make sure that we mentioned low floor, high ceiling tasks. We want something that every student in your classroom will be able to experience some amount of success. Uh, we talked about science labs, you know, what is a lab versus what is a demo. We talked about social studies um, and breaking out and going into writing that play about that historical event, going and acting it out. And um, we talked about one of my favorite experiences in school, a medieval dinner that happened in sixth grade. Um, talked about students finding their heritage and going through and really putting the pieces together and really having a reason behind what they were learning about. I cannot emphasize enough the literature circles that we talked about. Um, And I'm not sure if we talked about math modeling and number talks. If not, we'll be certainly be doing another uh, topic on just that. But for today, we're going to be talking about... um, a very important aspect of teaching, and that is secondary trauma. Now, to understand secondary trauma, we need to first understand what trauma is and how it works for your students. So, there are these things called ACE scores, and they're adverse childhood experiences. The more adverse childhood experiences you have, the more likely it is that you are going to have some sort of issue with learning and some sort of um, trauma associated with your life. Um, The data shows that more than half of all U.S. children have experienced some kind of trauma, usually in the form of abuse, neglect, violence, or challenging household circumstances. And 35% of children have experienced more than one type of traumatic event, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So, first I just kind of want to react to that. Um, Those statistics, if anything, in my experience, are lowballing the estimate. Um, 
the population I work with has a high incidence of trauma. It has at a majority of the schools that I've been associated with. And I'm from a rural area in northern New York. I would imagine that it's representative of the entire population. Um, and it just blows my mind that in this day and age, we can have children still facing neglect, abuse, and violence. Um, I think that challenging household circumstances are a fact of life. You know, sometimes people just make choices that are not in um, their best interest and they need to learn from them and move on. And unfortunately, sometimes children get caught in the middle of that. But it, it just blows my mind that they can be facing abuse and neglect and violence in their homes. That That's something that we I feel like we need to work on as a population. Um, just kind of anecdotally. Um, so, but as a teacher, it's something that we need to be very much aware of. Um, you know, schools are currently working on professional development for trauma and they really are focused on the student. But what I want to talk about today is vicarious trauma, um, sometimes referred to as compassion fatigue. So according to the American Counseling Association, it's defined as the cost of caring for others. It's... As teachers, I'm sure you're well aware of this feeling when you are working with a student and all of a sudden their trauma comes out in some form and you realize it for what it is. And it, it takes an emotional toll on us as, and I'm going to use this term, caregivers, because in that moment, that's what we are. First and foremost, we're teachers, but we have to deal with this trauma you know we talk about maslow and they need to feel safe well you've got to deal with that trauma before the the student can feel safe and we're definitely going to be doing an episode later on about um some techniques to do that but for today i want to take it one step beyond the instant you're in that situation and as a professional dealing with this kind of trauma um, day in and day out. We're not mental health professionals, but in some sense, we are the first line of defense. We're the ones that guarantee that our students get this kind of triage where we, we hear something and, and we, we say something. This could be said of all mandated reporters as well. Um, we need to ensure that we provide an environment where students feel safe enough to talk to us about their traumas so that we can get them the right services they need. But at the same time, we're not actually equipped to deal with this. Um, the emotional residue of exposure uh, that we have as a result of our position and a result of 
the relationships that we build with our students can really weigh down on a, on teachers and can really cause some negative so uh impacts in our personal and professional lives you know we, we're witnesses to to a child's pain you know their fear and and just the the fallout that these kids ha- are dealing with and sometimes it's more than we would e- be able to bear ourselves you know it, it brings up a lot of questions you know are we able to provide that safe atmosphere for our kids and how much of that is our responsibility and how much of that is um going beyond what we're trained to deal with and and when should we bring in mental health professionals or other professionals um you know if their needs aren't being met and if we can't possibly meet their needs what does that mean for their learning you know and, and especially in t- today's era of high stakes testing that's a big impact for us we need to make sure that we have that nice balance where we can take the students needs and still be able to get them to a place where they can learn I think the best thing for both the student and the teacher in that aspect is to keep a consistent space. So in my room, I make sure that I keep everything at from day to day as similar as I can. That doesn't mean I'm not teaching a variety of lesson types. That doesn't mean I'm not interacting in unique ways with my students every day but it does mean I keep some kind of regular schedule it does mean that I start class at the same point it does and by the way that doesn't mean that it has to happen on the bell I personally use the bell because it's a very convenient way to make sure that I'm starting at the same point same time every day um my students walk in and they will comment if I'm a little bit late that day uh, starting class, especially my ones that are high trauma students, um, which to me indicates that by doing this, not only is it keeping me focused and, and in a safe place for me to be able to teach, it's keeping my students in a safe place where they know what's going to happen. They know that they can... Um, speak up and say, hey, listen, I need you to be on time because that's what I need to feel safe. And I think that's what a lot of the structure in schools really does is it creates a safer environment. Um, and I also structure the way that I ask questions to my, of my students. And I think that also creates a safe space for them. And it creates a safer space for me too mentally because I know that I'm prepping my students to be answering a question. Usually it's in the form of a turn and talk. You know, we say, we talk all the time about how that's for our students. You know, you ask them what you're going to ask them, tell them to discuss what they're going to discuss, have them repeat back to you, you know, checking for that understanding and then letting them work and calling them back. I'll even throw in a stopwatch. 
Now, I don't use it in a way that's going to make them, oh, I'm on the clock, I've got to get this done. I use the stopwatch to ensure that, hey, listen, I'm going to be asking this question. You're going to turn and talk to your partner for a minute to come up with an answer to this question. And then I'm going to call on some people to, to answer the question. So, and in the beginning of the year, I set it up that if you don't know the full answer, give me what you've got. And, and I phrase it that way because it's okay if they don't have the full answer to my question. That's not my goal. And I, and I make sure that my students know that that's not my goal. It lowers their stress level, which in turn lowers mine. If I'm not expecting perfection out of them, they're more likely to be comfortable with what I'm asking. But I still need them to be held accountable. I, so it's, a, it's finding that balance. And it's knowing your students and knowing when to ask them a question in front of the class. Another thing that I'll do to to lower their tension, which when I lower their tension, it lowers my tension, I'll go and I will actually give students answers. I will sit and I will, in that minute, I will pick one or two groups and I will talk about the question with those one or two groups and guide them to what I want them to ask, or what I want them to say for an answer. And sometimes I will tell them, Hey, listen, that's not exactly the answer I was looking for. Do you mind if I share it? Because it shows excellent thinking. Even though it's not the right answer, it shows me that you're thinking about the problem in a new and unique way that will help other people understand what's going on. And so they'll even share, Hey, listen, I know this isn't right, but this is what I've got. And it really helps enable foster discussion amongst the class. And if you're, and if you're focusing on that discussion, you're really lowering the tension in the room, which is making your teaching much more enjoyable, which is putting less stress on you. It's helping your mental health to help your students get to the right answer by lowering their stress. Now, sometimes you do have to put them on the spot and, and, and keep them engaged, but not all the time. It's, it's a tool and a technique that you use to make sure that everybody's participating, everybody is getting what they need to out of the lecture. Um, boy, without Rachel, I seem to digress quite a bit. So, um... But let's say that you have a student that comes up to you after class and shares with you that they've had a traumatic event. You know, of course your school's got policies in place and you should definitely follow them. But my question for today's discussion is, how much of that can you take before you become a burnout educator? Let's be honest, a lot of times you are dealing with burnout from students' problems that you are not able to fix in your position, but you're being asked to deal with 
anyway. This is what secondary trauma is all about. It's it steers people away from the profession. You know, people that have known that they wanted to be a teacher since they were in fourth grade are burnt out by the time they finish their first year. And it's we don't talk about this secondary trauma enough. I think it stems from too many expectations being placed on teachers that are not really education-oriented. Um, a great example, a student comes to you and says the cafeteria won't feed them because they owe too much on their lunch money, and could you sp- give them some lunch money? Every teacher in the room is going to say, yeah, I'll give you your lunch money if that's the case. But that's not our job. That's something extra that society and ourselves say is the right thing to do, and so we do it. And it's another burden on on teachers. It's it's something that I have done before. I've certainly given lunch money to students. I've I've given my own food to students that I packed away um, just because they said they were hungry. You know, um, and there are some definite boundaries and lines there. I know teachers that keep food in their rooms just to give to students because they know that their students probably will not eat when they go home. How, how do you sit down and enjoy your dinner when you know that your students aren't afforded the same privilege? I, I think it's shameful that I think it's shameful that that happens and I I just I don't know a solution to that problem but it's it that's part of my secondary trauma is thinking about this all the time most teachers I know do not shut off their brains when it comes to their students they will sit there and they will think about them all night and all day and long after they've been our students but it takes a toll you know I and I don't know if educators are offered enough support to deal with the realities of their teaching to deal with the realities of having these students in our class and I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that these students are a burden. I'm I'm simply saying that their trauma has a traumatic effect on their teachers and it often goes unrecognized. Um so there's a whole list of behaviors that teachers will exhibit when they are experiencing secondary trauma and i you know they they overlap quite a bit with the teacher burnout um you know I, i'll just read a few that i've got noted down here you know that teacher that's easily irritated 
by the smallest of things, you know what? They're probably de- dealing with trauma. They tend to, in my experience, they tend to be the older teacher that's been around for a while, and they're justifiably angry at the system, at their place in it, and their powerlessness. Um, they tend to overwork. I know a teacher who has worked with me in the past who did absolutely anything and everything because the kids needed it from their point of view. The kids needed her to be a coach at the same time as offering extra tutoring at the same time as, um, just going way above and beyond for in other ways. And she had been doing it for a while and she did a very nice job with it. Um, but it's partly because of the trauma that she's experienced. They, um, tend to cause conflict amongst the staff. You know, that people start blaming other people. You know, this is one reason why minority schools have such a hard time with teacher turnover. It's not just the fact that the kids have so many needs. It's the kids have so many needs and it's causing trauma to the teachers on a daily basis. It ends up causing poor communication, you know, I'm going to ask you a question right now, and I want you to think about your answer. Do you communicate well when you're stressed out? So if our teachers are stressed out all the time, is that going to affect the overall communication in the school? You know, um, this, this is a big one for me. I tend to withdraw from my colleagues. I will close my door and not listen to anything anyone has to say to me that day because I have reached my limit. And it's not that I'm mad at anybody. It's not that students are driving me up a a tree. I just cannot stand to listen to another teacher that day. And though, you know, and sometimes it's not it's not that it's negatively impacting my teaching. Some of those days are my best days, but, you know, I, it's because of the trauma of working with the population I work with. Um, you know, it leads to high dissatisfaction and apathy, you know, um, there, and this is the big one I see in teachers all the time. They have a low self-image of themselves. Teachers work miracles every day. And they come into work and feel like they don't do anything. You know, they have this hopelessness about them. And it's not that they're not being effective. They're being very effective. But they have experienced so much trauma on that path that they have a low self-image of themselves. We're a martyr profession. We feel like we don't do enough and we'll never do enough. We're like Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill just to have it roll down on top of us. Um, 
you know, there's there's a lot more um, symptoms. Those are just a few of the ones that I wanted to highlight today. So, what's next? All right. So I can hear you saying, well, Matt, we've got this situation where we've got secondary trauma um, and it just seems like you're saying there's no hope. Well, there are some strategies that teachers can employ and I'm going to start with, I think, one of the hardest ones. So you can't pour from an empty vessel. What does that mean? All right. I'm going to use a wine bottle analogy. All right. When your emotional state is high, you know, you're feeling good about yourself. You've got a lot of um, energy and you've got a lot of patience and time and, and just your your wine bottle is full. You can fill a few different glasses with that. But over time, what happens to the level of wine in the bottle? It decreases. It gets smaller. You know, so as long as there's wine in the bottle to fill the need that you need to fill, you're good. You're golden. But it gets to a point where the wine bottle's empty. We got to make sure that our wine bottle has a little bit of energy left over for us. You cannot pour wine out of a bottle that's empty. Just the same way as you cannot provide that emotional stability for your students if you don't have that emotional stability for yourself. So, if you work with even one student who's experienced trauma, you can experience a an empty wine bottle, this vicarious trauma. So you, it's the first thing that you've got to do is take care of yourself. One of the best ways you can do that and ensure that that's happening is to connect with other teachers. I have a group of about three teachers that are consistently there for each other. That's not to say that I, I isolate myself and only work with those three people if I'm having an issue. Those are my go-tos. They're the ones I, I go to if I need to vent, if I need to um, get a different perspective on a problem, if I need to check myself and see if what I'm doing is right. Those are the ones I go to because I trust them, and I trust that after that conversation, the conversation is forgotten. We don't have that conversation. We, we never had that conversation. It doesn't leave the walls where we were. And that is one of the most important aspects to your core, is that, it, that whatever the issue is, it stays with your core. Um, you need to share the load. So sometimes I'm not working with that core group of people, but I'm working with my department. It's vital that your department works together. It's vital that um, your department is 
able to split projects. You know, it if you've got more than one teacher teaching the same class, that is awesome. Does that mean that you have to teach the same lesson as the other teacher because you're in the same department? Not necessarily. But does it mean you have somebody to bounce an idea off of that knows exactly what you're going through? Absolutely. They are a resource that will take the pressure off of you, and you're not putting more pressure on them. I love it when a colleague comes and asks me for help to get a hook for the lesson or to um, just tighten a couple places up a bit to talk about strategies. That's one of my favorite parts about teaching besides working with the kids is working with like-minded people. And that doesn't always happen in a work environment, but I'm fortunate to have worked with several awesome teachers that, that do that for and with me. One of my favorite things to do when I'm, when I am just at my wits end, can't even think how I'm going to get through the day, I'll pick up my roster and I'll find that one student that has been doing awesome in my class. And it doesn't stop there. That usually is enough for a little bit of a boost, but if you want to take it to the next step, pick up the phone and call that student's parents. If you call that student's parents out of the blue saying that they're doing an awesome job, and I know it sounds like one more thing, but it it pays itself off. If you call that student that's doing an awesome job and you surprise them with that, you'll be surprised at how good the rest of your day will be. I also try and pick the ones that it's going to surprise the parent with a good phone call. I had a student, um, let's see, two years ago now, and I teach math, and to him, math sucked, all right? And I challenged him to do everything that I could, or to do everything that I said, and we'd check in at different points throughout the year and see how he was feeling about math. I was very careful the first time I checked in with him to make sure that he was having a good math day. But I checked in with him, and he said, Oh, math is easy when you follow the steps. You know, it was an aha moment. And I I was having a bad day that day, and I called his mom at work, and she answered the phone, and I, I said... Hey, um, this is Jimmy's math teacher, and I just wanted to tell you what a great job he's been doing lately. You could have knocked her over with a feather. She was so stunned that a teacher took the time to give positive feedback. She was ready for a fight when when she answered the, the phone. Well, maybe not a fight, but was ready... To, for her kid to, you know, oh, what what did Jimmy do um, this time kind of thing. And, oh, he actually did something good. From that point on, his mom had told um, Jimmy what I had said. And from that point on, I just have to ask him to do something, and he will do it because he knows 
that I'm not just out looking for the negatives. And it makes me feel good and it helps me feel more secure when that word gets around that, oh, you know, if you're having a problem with Jimmy, talk to Mr. Snyder and he'll he'll talk to Jimmy for you. And and it makes me feel good to help build those relationships with his other teachers. Is that something in my job? One could say yes. One could say, strictly speaking, no. Is it something that makes my job more fulfilling? Absolutely. Does it take me an awful lot of extra time? Not at all. Does it help me build relationships with the very people who are who could really cause me to have a bad day? Absolutely. Um, and the good far outweighs the bad in this thing. So make sure that you're making those positive phone calls to parents. Another big thing that teachers, what one of the reasons I say we have a martyr complex is how often we put our family aside in order to get our teaching duties done. We need to make time for our families and our pets. It's not fair to our families to not leave work at work. Now, taking grading home every once in a while or having a set time that you're going to do that grading in, that's one thing. You know, sometimes that needs to happen. But when it's overtaking your life, you need to take a step back and say, listen, I need to um, have some time for myself and my families. Um, And that's not adding to your workload. It might change when you do your work, but it's something that you can do that's going to help refill your wine bottle. Um, you know, and if that's kind of not your style, there's some other things we can do. We can uh, look for positive things that happen. Um, in my car, I keep a card. That was probably the first card this sixth grader had ever written by himself, thanking me for pushing him and thanking me for letting him um, take control of his learning. This was a sixth grader that wrote this, and he grew so much the year I I taught him, Um, and I keep that in my car, and I have pulled it out from time to time looking at it just because I needed that little boost. Um, you, you know, uh, another thing you can do is just keep a note of one thing that happened really well for every day. And then when you start feeling low and you feel like there's not a good thing that's happened, flip through your book and see see all the positives. This one can really help you um, get out of the doldrums and really start to refill your wine bottle. Another thing that I want you to do, because we all experience this secondary trauma, some in more in in different levels than others. I want you to take time to read or listen to music 
or meditate, take the long drive home. I personally live an hour away from where I work because it gives me time in the morning to ramp up and it gives me time to unwind on the way home. It's my mental space that drive to and from work. Um, it's a great, I, it works for me. It makes it a little difficult when the kids ask me, Hey, can you come to my soccer game today? It's at home sometimes, but I can usually make time for that right now. Anyway, um, watch a TV show that you've seen a million times. My personal favorite is mash. I could tell you probably line and verse of every episode, but I still enjoy watching it, but I don't have to focus on it like I would a new TV show. You know, eat something sweet. I keep a little basket of candy on my desk. I use it for rewards, and I've been known to dip into it a time or two when I've just been having one of those days and just need something a little extra to get me through. We can also talk about um, getting our body moving. For me personally, I skate and I do figures. For those of you that don't know what a figure is, it is a movement done on skates, and the goal is to create perfect tracings on the ice. Um, So... When your skate goes across the ice, it leaves a mark on the ice. And that's what I'm talking about, the tracing. It's about a hair's width thick. So when you do a figure, you trace it between three and six times perfectly is is the goal. I'm not there yet. But what it lets me do is it lets me shift my focus to something that's not very important. It's not crucial. But when you hit where you're focused to that level of being able to trace your tracings, you enter what's known to psychologists as the flow. It, it, every ounce of my being is not on my school, not on my problems that I've been working on all day. It's on my ability to make a perfect circle on the ice or to make a perfect turn on the ice. Um, so that's my way to respond and relax and to get out of it. But, you know, you you can do this by running for those crazies out there, dancing, yoga, CrossFit, going for a walk. You can, you can get into the flow for all of those activities. So everyone's self-care is going to look a little bit different. Um, there's not one particular way that to take good care of your mental health. It's going to be very individualized to your personality and to even your mental state that day. You know, there are days when I go to the rink fully intending to do figures to get into the flow and I just can't. So I go to jumps and spins, you know, something a little more aggressive or maybe ice stance, you know, something a little bit different that I'm going to, focus on, it's going to get my heart rate up, it's going to just help snap me out of it. 
you know, make sure that you're, you're telling your students to do the same kinds of things. Make sure you're telling them to get up and move, you know, play those video games that they need to as long as they don't interfere with their schoolwork. You know, and sometimes, I, I tell my students sometimes, the video game is more important than your schoolwork. You've got things that you need to work out, and sometimes the best way is to not think about it for a while. All right, so we do have um, some services for teachers. Um, you know, go to Edutopia. They cover this topic quite a bit. Um, talk to your counselors in your school if you feel comfortable. They're great resources. They're going to know what's available at your school for this kind of crisis that you're going through. And it is a crisis. Um, you know, you, you need to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. That's the biggest thing I want you to take away today. It is okay. Well, first of all, it's okay to not be okay. Secondly, it's okay to take care of yourself before you take care of your students. If you don't do that, you are going to burn out. And it's usually in spectacular fashion. Um, you know, there are six elements to your self-care. They are physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual, social, and professional. Physical, we talked about, you know, get out and exercise for 30 minutes a day. At least it will help. Psychological, make sure you're checking in with yourself. Make sure that you take 10 minutes to just process what happened every day. Make sure that you are in an emotional state to teach when you're there. It's okay to need time for yourself. Everything in balance. You know, if you're not good with yourself spiritually that day, then you might need to take a day, and that's okay. Will it make more work for you? Most likely. But it's not necessarily about workload. It's about your capacity to handle your emotions and the emotions of your students that day. You know... Make sure that you are good with your social obligations and don't take on too many. Don't be afraid to say, you know what, I just can't handle this much work. That is okay. And if you're working in an environment where that's not okay, it might be a good enough reason to seek employment elsewhere. Um... And, you know, just make sure you keep up to date on your professional stuff. You know, if grades are due at this time, make sure, you know, I give myself a week before the end of the marking period to put all my grades together, to give some extra time for students to complete work judiciously. Um, I generally don't allow late work. But, you know, just, just make sure that your professional obligations are planned out and spaced out so that you know what you can do. 
you know, um, without feeling for yourself, how can you feel for somebody else? If you feel like yourself, you are worthless, that's the highest rating you can give somebody else. All right, well, this time has gone by very quickly. Um, if you are still listening, thank you. If you want to talk more about this, make sure to hit us up on our Facebook page, um, Teacher Talk New York. If you search it, we will pop up. Um, and I hope that this has brought some insight in and um, some strategies for you to use in order to take better care of yourself so you can take better care of your students. This is Matt Snyder signing off. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.